say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you received it and it'll be yours. And of course, we want to ensure that in any of that, we'll stand in forgiveness. Forgiving is, should be something that we do automatically when we're praying. When we're praying for anything, go ahead and add forgiveness to it. Because if we're walking in any unforgiveness, that it's almost like it voids the first part of it. So uh, just a, a part of what that prayer, uh, that scripture says. What I want to talk to, uh, about today, too, is ensuring that when we say it, we understand what's happening there. Uh, in Deuteronomy 28, verse 11 through 13, it says, And the Lord shall make you have a surplus of prosperity through the fruit of your body. Through, I'll say that again for all the ladies here. Through the fruit of your body. And then it goes on to your livestock and the ground in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord shall open to you his good treasury. The heavens to you shall lend, you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord shall make you the head and not the tail. And you shall be above only, and you shall not be beneath. If you heed these commandments, the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and are watchful to do them. So we know that this was a part of the Old Testament, and we are no longer under the curse because cursed is every man who hangs on a tree, and Jesus did that for us. So we know that that was a covenant that they had in the Old Testament. Now we have a new covenant with better promises, right? So we get to have all of the old covenant promises and then all of the new covenant promises. And so when we look at Deuteronomy, when he tells us that we're above and not beneath, that we're the head and not the tail, those are things that should continually be in our thoughts and in our mouths. We know in Proverbs 18:21 it says the power of the tongue, right? Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they who indulge in it shall eat the fruit of it. Death and life. So we are continually speaking either death or life into our worlds. So when we talk about our finances and our, the promises that God has told us in his book, in his word, that are ours, we have to consider what we say. So in a fun little activity, I wrote down a couple of things of what to say and what not to say. Just bringing it down, this, you know, we talk about what the Bible says and this is what we're expecting, but what does it look like on a day-to-day -day basis? So what not to say? I can't afford that. I know a scripture that says, my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Next one. It's not in the budget. And listen, I have said that. I am guilty. 
But when we're talking about it's not in the budget, whose budget am I talking about? Did I give that budget to God so that he can loose anything that needs to be loosed in this earth? Yes. So it's not in my budget is now officially out of my vocabulary. I'll never dot, 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 drive that type of car or have that type of house. I'll never be able to do that. How are we limiting God in those words? I recently just heard a new song, um, God is Able, and I posted it on Facebook because God is able. There is no limit in what he can do, and putting those restrictions on your life just limits what he's able to do and what you, what you say. He's limited by his words. He said that you shall have whatever you say, so you will have whatever you say because of what he said in his word. And so we are, when we say things like, I'll never, we're, we're limiting ourselves in what we can have. Here's another one. That is too expensive. Expensive for who? Expensive for God? God who has spoken life into being, who has spoken the sun, the moon. He's the one that created the gold on this earth. So is it too expensive in our minds, in our abilities to what we can possess or what we can attain? So when we're saying it's too expensive, we are then just limiting that box of what God is able to do. And then this one, I hear it often. Well, that would be nice. It would be nice to have that type of car. It would be nice to have that type of pool. It is nice. It's nice when we walk in God's blessings. And you know what? God wants to provide those things for us. And it is going to be nice. It is going to be nice when we, his people, walk in those blessings. When we are the ones that, that are showing off his goodness. When we're saying, yes, we are the head and not the tail. That we've been blessed beyond our own expectations. It will be nice. And so I encourage you guys, whenever you find yourself saying these things, stop yourselves. Repent. Because that's going against God's word, against what he wants for you. I mean, now as a parent, even more so, I, you know, the things that I want for my children, I don't want them to say, well, I could never have. I'm like, no, you're going to have more than enough. I want them to speak what I'm believing for them to have. So those are a couple of things of what not to say. Here's some, I'm going to help you out with some things to say. Okay, so before we talked about maybe saying it's not in the budget. And we've heard uh, Pastor Ziggy say this, and when he first said it, I'm like, oh, I'm all over that. So instead, say, my money is tied up right now. My money is tied up right now. How many of you guys sow seeds? 
right? Use seeds, whether, and seeds could be anything. Seeds could be seeds of money, seeds of uh, your time, seeds of food, seeds of being a blessing to someone else. Be, maybe you're sewing. I had somebody sew some pretty awesome shoes to me once, and those are shoe seeds. So whenever we sow seeds, we know that we will have a harvest because that's what, if you plant, you reap, right? So when you say your money is tied up, how long does it take for a crop to grow? Right? You, it could, it's not overnight. So when you're saying your money's tied up, that is true. You're, you just haven't received your seed yet or your, your crop. So it's just... I'll get it. It's coming. So my money is tied up. It doesn't mean that it doesn't fit in my budget. That happens to me all the time. When you see somebody get blessed, when you see somebody, you know, get that thing you want or that thing you're believing for, say it out loud in your mouth. That happens to me all the time. Because you're speaking out into the the world, what you are going to have. That happens to me all the time. I'm getting those blessings all the time. I'm getting first pick all the time. I'm getting the shoes I want all the time. I'm getting the cars I want all the time. That happens to me all the time. And we're framing our worlds with our words. And this one, uh, I've been recently working, uh, saying often, my job is not my supplier. Every time I walk, and you guys know I, some of you guys know I work at Paycom. Every time I walk up there, yeah, we're competitors. <laughs> A house divided. I'm just <laughs> I walk up there and I say, you're not my supplier. You are not my source. Because I cannot... They are, first of all, you know they won't be faithful. But we know who our supplier is. We know who provides for us, and it's God. So making sure that our mental capacity, our ability to put those, separate them in our heads, will help us align our, what we say on a day-to-day -day basis. Because I do not want to limit what I can do and have because of what I make. Because that's not what God said. God didn't say that you'll have whatever uh, salary you make. You, he didn't say you'll only be able to have up to whatever uh, income you, bracket you're in. He never said that. He said that you are, I shall open my good treasury to you. He said that his good treasury, his bank account is going to be ours. So we can't limit ourselves by what we make on a day-to-day -day basis or where we're at. So we have to make sure that what we say aligns with what we, his word. So we're not going to limit his words by what we say. And I wrote this down. It says, bless me in an extreme measure, and I will be extreme. I will extremely change the way I think. Because we have to be extreme. This whole, this world is gotten into a place where it's just 
tries to do the minimal amount of work, the minimal amount of what is required. But that's not God's way. So we got we to gotta walk in a place where we, we know we're going to be radical. When we know someone is going to look at us and going to be like, there she goes again. And that's okay because that's who God, God made us unique. God made us, and especially winners. We are not unique in the way where we're just going to let things happen to us. We are going to frame our worlds. We are going to speak God's word and see it come to pass. We're not going to be the ones that are like, oh, well, I guess it just didn't happen. I tried one time. Uh, One of the uh, messages that Kenneth Hagin says a lot is that someone would tell him, well, that stuff doesn't work for me. You're like, it doesn't work for you? No, it's working for you. Every time you say it doesn't work for you. <laughs> so we have to be uh, extreme about what we say and catch ourselves. And that's okay. And we talked about it another day where we said, it's okay. Then just go ahead and repent. What does repent mean? But to turn around and just make sure not to do it again. And then every time it happens, just okay, just repent. Lord, I rebuke those words. I'm going to say the right thing. I'm like, no. Yes, Marissa says crop failure whenever she sows a word that she doesn't intend for it to come to pass. And so today, as we're looking at sowing, one, our tithe, our tithes and offerings, know that God is our supplier and that when we are working in his kingdom, all things work for our good. All things are going to benefit us, and we will walk in the blessing that he has supplied for us and get excited about it because, I mean, just think about it. You have what you say. You get to have what you say because of God's word, because he went to the cross and took away the curse. Now we get to walk in that victory. So be radical in, his, in the obedience of God's word. Be radical in what you say. Be radical in how you exercise your excitement. Because the more excited you get, the more you tell yourself, yep, this is it. Come on now. You're building up the confidence. And remember, we talked about what does faith mean? It's just having confidence in God's word. So I'm going to leave you with that today. Be careful what you say. <laughs> and you know what? I don't, I don't like using that careful word. I'll, 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 uh... Yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on having a better word than careful because he said, he said uh, don't be anxious for nothing. Don't care. You know, cast all your cares upon me. So... I don't know, I get a little radical in what I say even to, there. I, I like precision, and so whenever I say words like that, like careful, I'm like, mm, but he said not to care for a thing. So, uh, I'll bless you with that, and I will take the, the young child who cries, <laughs> and I'll pass it over to David. Uh, go ahead, and yes, we are on week 17 of superseed. If you guys are superseding with us, we're sowing $17 above our tithes. And if you have an offering, go ahead and do that as well.
and know that it's coming back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, and running over. And also, if you put up the slide, there it is, our text to give. Pastor Ziggy already has it memorized, 77977. Text that or, yes, you have to text the word Winner's Church to it. Thank you, Marissa. Download the app. There's a super easy little button. You can put press give, and it'll take you through that whole process. All right, Mr. Tobed, I will take you. See, is it working? All right. Can you, well, kind of fly up on me. There we go. Does that work? Is it on? Oh, okay. I always feel weird with this mic on. It's, uh, I always feel like pretentious or something. <laughs> like I'm a motivational speaker or something. <laughs> Say it with me. You can do it. <laughs> so, yes, it's not far. <laughs> but I hate holding mics, or I don't like holding mics. Um, Man, Hilda was on it, and it ties into what I was going to talk to you today, so that's even better. Um, man, when she was talking about the budget, man, we, uh, there was a situation that uh, we, it's not a negative situation, it's a potential positive, but where our income was going to go up, and you know, if it happened, and you know, we're both looking at, man, we could trade up to this car, and we could get this, and you know, Jack's going to go into preschool here pretty soon, and that'll take care of that need, you know, and right now, Amelia's daycare costs, um, I think it's like $1,300 a month, so Jack's about to go in the fall, so I mean, it's like 30 grand a year <laughs> in daycare, it's not all tax deductible, which is crazy, what's up? <laughs> it's crazy. But it's, a, it's an awesome place. You know, you get what you pay for. Um, and I, I'm certainly not saying that they're not worth it. They're definitely worth it. But I like buying things that are fun to hold and touch. <laughs> but um, it's definitely investment in Jack and investment in Amelia. It's super worth it. But, um, you know, when, when something was going to happen, we're like, man, we'll be able to do this. And we're looking at cars. And, um, you know, Hilda has had her mind on uh, a mini Countryman for a long time. And we've got a mini Cooper, uh, but it's an older one that, you know, we would just paid cash for it um, back in a couple years back. Um, but she's always wanted to get a brand new Countryman, you know, and that would be something we'd easily be able to do. And um, I, I've always wanted, uh, or one car, I've, I've wanted mini cars. <laughs> um, a Toyota 4Runner. I think those are awesome. And of course, you know, I don't really like the regular ones. It's got to be the most expensive one. I like the TRD Pros. And then eventually, after I got Hilda to sign off on that, then I would slowly move her into like lifting it or something and getting <laughs> expensive wheels put on it and trying to go mudding with Michael or something. And he used to have some pretty awesome uh, four wheel drive cars, uh, trucks. And, um, but you know, that the, the thing that was going to happen didn't, didn't come about, but I could feel it before we knew, we knew that, uh, it wasn't going to work out in that direction that, you know, God was saying, you know, it, it's, it's good to dream. It's good to get plans in order, but you shouldn't be doing it based on if this happens. And, um, when it didn't happen, I was like, Hilda, you know, we need to still make plans to make those things, to, to work in that direction. That doesn't mean being stupid and, you know, stretching yourself, living outside of your means. But, um, 
and it's so hard because, you know, if you're a logical person, if you're reason-based reason, reason based very much so, um, gosh, it's a pain in the butt. You really have to deny yourself and tell your mind to shut up because your mind doesn't, doesn't live in the world of the Bible. It doesn't live in the world of God's word. Um, you know, God says, my ways are higher than your ways. Um, and we have to remember that. We're like, this don't make any sense. This is, this is illogical that I could do this or I could live this lifestyle. And, you know, we don't know where we're going to end up in the end. Only God really knows the extent that we'll stretch ourselves in the final end point. But, you know, being reasonable doesn't help you grow your faith. Um, it, it's really something, you, you know, you can't be stupid, but you have to, uh, you know, depending on who you are, I suppose, you know, if you're predispositioned to be stupid, then maybe you should be <laughs> reasonable. I don't know. You know, follow the Holy Spirit, see what he tells you. But, uh, but you know, if you, if you have a mind that's like, I don't see how that's possible. No, 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 no. You know, I don't want to get my hopes up. Uh, for something that's not realistic. I don't want a pipe dream. You know, God's always trying to stretch us out. And sometimes what he's telling us is possible might not be accomplished in us in our lifetime, but it's always possible for us to do it. And by stretching out, we still go to a further place. And it's, it's really not about, um, you know, attaining things. I really like what Jesse Duplantis says. He says, my faith, and I'm, I'm probably butchering this because it's been a few years since I've heard it, but he said, my faith demands that I, um, I, I look to grow it. And the way to grow it in the natural is to say, okay, God, you've grown my, you've grown my faith, realizing that, you know, obviously you're attributing that, that work to, to God as you co-labor with him. But okay, we've done this, and then God's going to show up, and he's going to say, is that all I can do? That's what Jesse always says. Is that all I can do? He's like, well, no, Lord. We, what, what, what are we going to do together? Um, and so sometimes, you know, if, if you haven't heard this before, if you've heard this always in a negative context, you'd be like, man, you know, we're in church. Why are we talking about this? Uh, God put his son on the cross to die so that you could go to heaven. And assuming you're here um, and you've given your life to Jesus, that part's done. But the sozo salvation, the idea of the complete package of what Jesus came to do was to restore Adam to a pre-fall place that um, was in every area of his life. And it's easy for us to see, oh, of course God wants me healed, you know. Why would he? It's easy now. At one point people believed, and there's still people who believe that you carry your sickness for the Lord, which is beyond stupid. I want to use a different word, but, you know, it's not politically correct anymore. <laughs> um, but it's crazy that people believe that. Knowing the word, knowing, and you know, people back in the day, they read the word way, probably more than we even read the word today. Um, although they certainly didn't have access to it with the TV and the internet and YouTube and whatnot. But um, they read the word and read the word and read the word. And you know, it's so clear in the word that it's God's plan for us to, to live in perfect healing, no matter what that area is in our life, even if it's a um, uh, you know, something that's not going to kill you, but it's a biological shortfall. Uh, it's God's perfect will that you, that, that you overcome that thing. And, um, and that seems obvious. So why wouldn't it be obvious that God wants you blessed? He wants all of your needs met. Um, he doesn't want you to get over into to materialism, but he, you know, he sent three wise, uh, he, he sent the wise men to bless Jesus with enough wealth to sustain his life for the entirety of his time on earth and beyond that. Heard theologians, I don't remember if it was Pastor Zig or somewhere else, but um, that uh, you don't hear a lot of Joseph 
uh, after a certain period of time. And some people say, you know, maybe he passed away or something happened. Um, but they say that his uncle uh, uh, managed that wealth and was a wealthy person in that area. And, you know, other than speculation, that's all I can offer in that direction. But we do know that these, these wise men traveled for several years to bring a gift to Jesus um, after noticing his star in the, in the east. And no one, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to go to Tyler, be like, oh, Tyler, 20 bucks, I'll, I'll be up the road. I'm not going to be like, man, this is a three-year journey. I'm bringing Tyler that 20 bucks because it's the right thing to do. I wanted to bring you your Hallmark card for your baby. Three-year journey, I'm on my way back. No. There was a whole entourage. There was an army that went with them to protect them. There, 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 it, it was a, a massive gift. It was a gift for a king. They didn't know they were going to go to a manger. They didn't know what they were, their situation was. They didn't know if they were going to walk into a palace to find this new king. They weren't, they weren't uh, God-fearing people. They were astrologers. <laughs> you know. And I like that part, too, because it really reinforces the scripture that says, um, the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. Because God used the wealth of the wicked to supply his son uh, while he was here on earth. I think that's pretty cool. I love it when you see pieces of scripture that reinforce other pieces of scripture that have nothing to do with it as far as it's not tied into that story. It's another person who wrote it. But you see the underpinnings of God's word that holds itself up. That even um, though God could have been like, well, this high priest is going to sow a seed because he's a pretty wealthy high priest, or we're going to make sure that it comes out of, a, out of a, you know, Solomon's wealth that was preserved. No, uh, I said that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous, so I'm going to do that with my son too. I think that was very cool. Um, but today, uh, today I'm going to be talking... I'm going to be talking about something that God put in my heart a couple years back, but um, I hadn't, hadn't at this, until this point really developed it, and I still, still think it's got a little bit of work to do. Um, I'm a massive procrastinator, so nothing happens until it absolutely has to happen. Um, of course, that's not my confession, though, so I am not, I am not a massive procrastinator. I plan for the future. <laughs> Don't tell Hilda. Um, <laughs> but you know what? <laughs> you know, we're, we're all walking these things out. Um, and coming up here to preach uh, certainly doesn't mean that I'm, I'm perfected in these areas, but I recognize that God's speaking to me. And, um, and if he's speaking to me about it, I know that he wants to deposit something to you. Uh, I do want to say hello to Julie and Travis, who, who uh, came here to visit with us to, today, which is awesome. Me and Travis and Joe were in uh, the Air Force together in the same shop. Um, and then he went out of the area for a while to be an MTL. Yeah, was that fun? You enjoy herding cats? <laughs> Basically, an MTL is someone who is pretty much uh, HR or people management for kids who join the Air Force, and they go to, off to a tech school. And so they're not the instructors in the tech school, but they manage the dormitories. They make sure they go to the PT and they're exercising at certain times. They're where they need to go. And so, you, you know, you're just herding it around a bunch of 17, 18, 19-year-olds and trying to keep them out of trouble. And it sounds like a fun job. <laughs> it's probably pretty chill reasonably, but no, no, not the case. <laughs> Would you go back and do it again? No. <laughs> But it's definitely good to have Travis back. I haven't seen him in several years, um, and it's good to see Julie. I, we're friends on Facebook, and you know, eventually people you don't see in, in person after a while just turn into like Facebook people. Um, so it's definitely nice to see him again. 
Um, I know Joe. Joe didn't even know they were going to be here today. So when he saw them walk in, he was definitely excited. Um, but to, today, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, a scripture in Genesis. And um, the idea of this scripture is there was, there was someone I knew that was dealing with something for uh, anonymity's sake, I think. I'm using that word right. Um, and there was something that they were dealing with in their life that was fictitious, if that makes sense. They believed it about their life. It framed their life. Uh, it framed their perception about their life. But it wasn't, it, from my perspective, from what I could see, it, it wasn't real. Uh, but the effects of their belief was real. And so I remember walking around the apartments when we used to live over on Rockwell, and it was nighttime, and I love to take walks. Uh, unfortunately, I don't get to do that anymore because um, Amelia and Jack are in our wonderful lives, and they are awesome. <laughs> walks are a small thing to give up, but eventually we'll get to go on walks, and Amelia will insist on bringing Chica or Zoe, and Zoe will make that walk a pain in the butt because she's going to sniff and pee and try to poop, and then I'll be like, oh, man, I forgot the little bag. What are we going to do? We're going to keep walking. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Uh, if Hilda's with me, we'll probably have to come back. Um, but uh, so, you know, I was on this walk, and I'm thinking about this thing. I'm thinking about uh, this friend, and I'm asking God, you know, what, what, what's going on? Am I not seeing this right? Is, is uh, you know, am I not being understanding of, of this situation? You know, am I not given the proper credence or, or whatnot? And um, he spoke this scripture in my heart, and, uh, and, I, and I believe it was, a, it, it was the sermon that we're going to talk about today. And it's, who said you were naked? You know, a lot of us, we have a perception. And, you know, this guy was really, he's me in some sense. He's you, he's all of us, because there's something in our lives. Or there's really multiple things. We're all a work in progress that God's trying to bring along. And um, there's something in our lives that either through confession, uh, through belief, that we, we take as gospel. And there's nothing that someone could do. I mean, I could prove, put all the papers out on, on the table and I could say, and this is why this happened, and this is why this happened, and this, and this, and this, and I could show the domino effect. But until each of us look inward and say, who said that about us? God's the only person who's supposed to be able to define and architect our lives. Our experience aren't supposed to do it. What the media says about us isn't supposed to do it. Uh, what our bosses say about us isn't supposed to do it. Uh, God is supposed, we're supposed to look into the word, the Bible, and see what is God saying about us? What can I do? What in my environment? And you know what? Sometimes it's, sometimes, sometimes the things that we deal with are real, but we don't have to participate with them. Uh, some, sometimes this, this uh, system or this um, workplace or whatever uh, has it out for, 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 no, for no given reason. But you can flip the script if, if you choose to take uh, authority over it. I mean, you can be a victim if you want to. And sometimes it feels good when you go up and you're like, hey, you know, yeah, I've been through it. You didn't tell you about it, blah, 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 blah. And it, you know, it can be satisfying. It's satisfying to complain. Everyone likes to. You know, no one wants to admit that they like to complain. It sounds pathetic. But we all, 
you know, man, I've been sick this whole week. Gosh, it's horrible. It's one thing after the other. Let me tell you about my back. Let me tell you about my knees when I run. Oh, you like to run? I like to run too before my knees start jacking up. And uh, yeah, that's one boss. I tell you, I can't can't get ahead. Just can't get ahead at this job. This one boss has it out for me. You can change that environment if you choose to. But every time that you go up against that situation, you're going to have to face that thing in your mind, in your spirit, and say, no, God's word is the architect. This experience isn't the architect. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a blessing to this boss. I'm going to bless him so hard that he's going to have to challenge the biases inside of himself because he has no, in fact, he doesn't have a reason. He, he has given me every reason to loathe his existence or her existence, and I have blessed him every time. But to do that, your spirit has to rule over your flesh. You know, as long as, and and, and there's nothing wrong with going through the process of, you know, inside of yourself. But sometimes, and I've told this to other people, you got to learn to be a better poker player with the devil. You've got to hold your cards. You've got to stop verbalizing every thought that comes in our minds. You've got to hold your cards. You've got to look at them. You've got to learn how to bluff and realize that you're not really bluffing because you're holding a card up the sleeve that he doesn't know about. And, and that's, the, that's the card of God's word. God's word is the ace in the sleeve that he doesn't know about. It's the thing that changes the scenario that you're dealing with. It, it may be true in the natural, but it doesn't have to stand. Um, and so we're gonna, that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to go through a lot of scripture um, because that's how I like to do it. Um, uh, I probably could narrow it down, but I didn't, so we're going to read it all. <laughs> So I hope you like reading. If you didn't read your Bible uh, this week, you can say you did today. <laughs> so we're going to start out in Genesis 1, 27 uh, through verse 31, and then we're going to jump again, so just be prepared. Uh, so, and you tell me, sorry, I should, I should have given you a slide, but are we there? All right, cool. I think it's just look back there, huh? Um, so, so God... So God created man, and I'm reading out the English Standard Version, so if it's different, I apologize. Uh, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. All right, so going back to what Hilda talked to, um, and because I... Because I am a squirrel or a dog looking at a squirrel, um, you know, I'm going to spider web out. Um, we see this scripture. So if there's something inside of you that hears Hilda talk about, you know, God wants you, God wants you to be prosperous. God doesn't want you to consult your budget. If there's something inside you that's like, and you know what, I'll be honest, I have to deal with that. Because it's just like, ugh, there's an irkiness to it inside of my carnality or a religious upbringing or whatever. It doesn't really matter. But it's contrary to God's word, and it has to be ignored. It has to be suppressed. I have to remind myself, um, you know, we were sowing our tithe a couple weeks back. And you know what? Uh, I'm always, I'm the one who did, uh, who who manages, you know, the budget, the money comes in, and I I pay most of the bills. And um, and so uh, our tithing offering is not a bill, but it was my opportunity to pay it. But you know what? That even, even standing here, being in, in, standing in this pulpit, being in the church for years and years, believing this with all my heart, I still have the irkiness in my head. It's like, that's a lot of money. I, 
I got daycare coming up here pretty soon. As far as Jack goes in the future, I'm like, that's a lot of money. But instead of just paying it anyways and it, just ignoring that irkiness that came, I pulled up the scripture, in, I think in Deuteronomy, that said, when I have brought you to a good place, when you are in good houses, then you'll be tempted to say, uh, it is my own mind or my own heart that has brought this wealth. But you need to remember the Lord your God. And so I, I spoke to my own flesh before I pushed that button because I, I never give anything in here. It's just so easy. I don't know why anyone does. But, you know. <laughs> but, but please, you know, do it however you feel uh, necessary to do it. So easy. It's awesome. Um, but... Uh, I had to speak to my own carnality that wanted to rise up and be like, you know, you wouldn't be quite as tight if, if, you, know, think, if, you, you, know, if you didn't or, or maybe shrunk it down a little bit. It's still a big offering by many standards. Um, and, and we have, God's blessed us. We, we have a really big tithe and offering. <laughs> <laughs> Praise Jesus. Uh, and I don't say that to brag on me. I say that to brag on him. You know, there is times early on when it wasn't big. And it was easy in my mind to be like, you know, Lord, here's my, here's my, uh, my tithe and my offering. You know, I'm being faithful. You know, it's 100, 150, whatever it is, 300. Um, but when it gets, when it gets over 1,000, <laughs> you know, and I know that there's people that are like, oh, man, I remember when my, my tithe used to be 1,000 or whatever, my, my tithe and offering, blah, blah, blah. But there, I don't know, you know, every, everyone's different. Everyone's walking out a different spot in their own mind. And for me, it's like, man, that was like, dang, that's a lot of money. And um, I had to remind my own carnality. My, my mind, my reason, you know, wanted to say something about whether, that, whether that's smart or not. You know, that's, a, that's big. And, and, and it's really not. There's people giving millions and millions of dollars every year. And so it's really insignificant, but, it, you know, a significant portion. Um, but I had to speak to it. I had to say, you know, in, in that situation, it would be the same situation of who said you were, who said that was big, who said um, that you couldn't do it or there wasn't going to be enough. The only reason there's enough is because he made there to be enough. And so you have to remind your, your carnality sometime uh, that God brought you to this place. You didn't bring you to this place. You didn't give yourself these gifts. Um, and, you know, we're doing all this while I'm a student working on my, my degree, and I'm almost done, thankfully. So happy to be almost done. Um, you know, in the beginning, it was so nice. It's like, oh, this is fun. We're learning and talking and writing papers. Uh, now I just want it to be done. But God's, God's blessed us big time, even, even in the midst of that, even, um, and made it possible for me outside of, you know, uh, doing my roles here at the church and, you know, how I'm in the reserves. That's only once a month to be able to go to school full time, um, and just using the GI Bill. And, you know, it's been a huge blessing. God's awesome. Um, but you've got to remind your flesh when it speaks up, you know, because not every thought that you think is, is from him. So continuing on that verse, uh, and God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the field and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning and the sixth day. 
So God started our existence by giving us dominion over everything that was on the earth. That was our perfect condition. We were without sin, we were without shame, and every single need or desire was provided for us. So that is the position that Jesus uh, in his sacrifice on the cross has endeavored to bring us back to. Uh, Going on to chapter two, verse 15 and 17. I wish there was like one right there where that one was on, but there we go. Sweet. Uh, and, and, the Lord, and the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded man saying, you shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you shall not eat uh, for, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Um, We'll go back to this, but uh, I want to draw your attention to to work it and to keep it. God had a, uh, a mission for Adam, and had he been doing what God called him to do, uh, he wouldn't have been in the situation that he finds himself soon after. Uh, and verse 23 and 25, down the road, um, and then why she's finding that because we're so close. Uh, then the man said, this, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I think that's so cool. Um, and so, something we have to remember is that that scripture was written, obviously, post, uh, post-fall. And so God's talking and he's describing the situation to Moses. And um, he's... he's let him know, like, isn't this interesting? They were naked and they weren't ashamed. They, they, there, there was no shame in their hearts that they had. Um, and then going on to Genesis 3, 1 through 7. Should have provided all these to Jess beforehand. I knew it. She's pretty fast. I just always feel bad. <laughs> uh, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Uh, But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was an idiot, and who was was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths, Genesis 3. Um, Something I I don't don't know if it's true or not, um, but... I noticed that their eyes weren't open until the man fell. There's sometimes men are, you know, you hear in sometimes old-timey churches, they'd be like, the, there's the woman that did this to us. And, uh, but but um, Adam was standing there the whole time, and he said nothing, first off. And two, uh, it wasn't until he took the fruit that, that the eyes were open. And I don't know if... Uh, if what would have happened had he not, op- not taken of the fruit? But I can't help but notice that the change didn't occur until the headship submitted to that, to that thing and, and obeyed, essentially, Satan. Um, 
So God said in Genesis 2.25 that Adam was naked and they were not ashamed. So, so we can assume uh, that, that they were naked the entire time, but either were unaware of it or uh, they just didn't care, one or the other. Um, but there's something really cool. Uh, the theologians kind of, I, try, I really scoured and scoured and scoured and tried to find uh, a scripture that would talk more about um, what they were clothed with. Because you hear, um, it was, there, there's talkings of perhaps that they were covered in the glory of God. Perhaps it wasn't that they weren't naked. Um, essentially, they, although they didn't have clothes on, but that they were covered in the glory of God. And I came across something that I thought was super, super awesome um, as far as I really liked how he worded it. And uh, he said, when, when Eve looked at Adam, she saw God pouring out of him. And when Adam looked at Eve, he saw God pouring out of her. And they, and, and they knew only love for each other. So, you know, obviously, there's no, without sin, there's not going to be any animosity, any contention. There's not going to be anything like that. Uh, but when Adam and Eve chose to reject God and his divine life, they chose not life. And immediately after their sin, they recognized their own nakedness. Um, and so I was trying to find scripture to back that up because it was something that I've heard a lot, but um, I couldn't remember... Uh, a scripture or why that was. And then I came across uh, in Exodus 34, 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face had shone because he was talking with God. So Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. And when you spend time with God, uh, you, you end up pick, picking up what he's putting off. And so because they got to spend time with God in, in the cool of the day, they were clothed in the glory of God, I, I, I believe. I think there's a fair um, summation, although you could say that, you know, it's, it's uh, you using that scripture and laying it on top of the other one. Um, but something that I, I really liked was, uh, so, so, there, so first off, it was just them in the garden. So there was really no reason to feel any shame of being naked um, because, you know, it's just them, just them and the animals. Um, and I like what, <laughs> what Jesse Duplantis says. Uh, he's, <laughs> he says that uh, when people would give him compliments on how his wife dresses, and he's like, man, you dress your wife really nice. He's like, I have never dressed away my wife. And earmuffs, I have tried to undress her many times. <laughs> I was like, good job. Good job, brother. <laughs> Um, so, so there wasn't there wasn't a reasonable uh, un, uh, re- there wasn't a reason for him them to feel any awkwardness of nakedness um, that that we can think of outside of there was something that transpired something that happened uh, in the exchange of the fall uh, of them participating in that sin that happened the um, and what. What I think is what I think is interesting is it wasn't until um, it wasn't until sin, which pretty much required the eviction of God of the glory of God that covered them because they couldn't coexist uh, in the same place when He did that. Um, but we I noticed that um, we feel we feel naked or we feel shame when we're outside of His glory. 
That was something that struck me when I was reading that, is, is there, he's covered in the glory. He doesn't have a sin nature. He participates in the sin in the fall. The glory departs from him. And uh, the sin nature enters his body, and he feels a shame that's really unreasonable based on you know, what we can observe at this time. And it's because he's outside the glory of God. And so you know, if, there, if we feel shame, if we're dealing with something like that, and I think everyone is on some level, or the enemy's trying to in something, um, we can recognize that we're outside the glory of God. And if we want freedom from that, all we have to do is, is, is find that place, find that place in his presence. And uh, if you've ever been in the presence of God, um, you know that you participate differently than when you're not. Uh, all the insecurities I, uh, or thoughts of, you know, what are people thinking? And, you know, people can always say, oh, it's stupid to think what, you know, what are people thinking? You're like, I know it's stupid. It's unreasonable. It's, 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 it's just there. But it's not there when you're in the presence. And I know that from personal experience of things that I would never do uh, outside of the presence of God, but then when his presence is there, there's a complete disregard. It's like it's not even there. The program's completely wiped away for that, for that period, which I love. So um, the definition of shame is a painful emotion caused by consciousness of guilt, shortcoming, or impropriety. Uh, condition of humiliating disgrace, disrepute, uh, and then there's a ignominy is the shame of being arrested. Uh, something that brings censure or reproach. Uh, uh, something being regretted. And so when shame enters, it it um, it causes it causes us to uh, to hide or to cover. So uh, in Genesis 3.11, God says, who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the tree? In the, in the verse prior, Adam is explaining why he didn't reveal himself initially. And Adam says, uh, I, several times. And um, I think that when, when you look at that, you see that when sin enters, uh, man com- immediately becomes focused on himself. Everything's about him. Uh, I, 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 I was here, I felt covered, or I felt, I felt naked. Um, all of these in, introspective, it's all about me, selfishness enters the picture. And then eventually he says, you know, it was this woman. Um, so so you, you can see the nature, that shame, shame is the evidence of sin or a sin nature. It's the byproduct of sin. Um, and then uh, going to verse Genesis 3, 8 and 11, Uh, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife and his hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. So I was afraid. I was ashamed uh, when he was never ashamed before because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Um, who told you you were naked? Uh, consider, consider the source. There, there's a difference in kind when Adam says that they were naked and when earlier Moses is telling us that God informs us that man and his wife were naked and were not ashamed. He's speaking out of shame 
And uh, God is, when he's showing that to us, he's, he's informing us of just a state. Um, there's a new awareness that has entered in the consciousness of, of Adam and Eve in that nakedness. Um, and it's, it's not from God, obviously. Um, and that, that, same, that same thing of who told you you were naked. You know, God's telling us that uh, today in, in the different situations that we're going through. And um, it really comes back to uh, the, the enemy speaking into your ear. Now, their condition did change in that moment. They, they were naked in, in, as a result of that moment. But as believers, God's brought us back to a pre a pre-fall state as far as our our spirits are concerned and um as far as we'll allow him to grow us in our faith uh our our life is concerned and so when whenever we're dealing with different situations we should always go back to the source and hear the sound of god saying who said you were naked um when it comes to uh different jobs hilda has gone up for for several jobs at paycom and um, one time it was, uh, it was both of them were, well, one was when uh, Amelia was born and she was in the hiring process and um, she went into maternity leave because she was, uh, she went into labor early and, uh, you know, she didn't get the job and someone else kind of got it over her that wasn't as good as her. And so it'd be easy to look at that and be like, can't believe they did this to me as a result of being on maternity leave. This is crazy. Um, and then she eventually got a team lead position in PSD at a later time. Uh, and then uh, just recently when Jack was born, she was again in the middle of a hiring process going for a job that it seemed like she was almost certain to get. The team lead that had been over her uh, education department prior uh, was grooming her to take the position. She super, you know, supervised everyone that was in that department, and she believed that Hilda was the best fit to take over. And you know, she had brought her to other leadership. And when when she had left to go to a different job, Hilda was taking over those leadership positions uh, uh, interim while there was no supervisor in place. And so she went up for the job, and um, she didn't get it. And it, once again. She had the last interview while she was in maternity leave, um, and she pretty much had to, you know, force them to give her the interview. And they're like, you know, we understand that you're in this, you know, you should just relax and take it. She's like, no, I want that interview. So Hilda and I always think that a supervisor is going to look on this favorably. That this woman has just been gutted. She had a C-section. She went into labor early. She just had a kid at 27 weeks. She's so determined to get this job that she's texting you about things that are undone from the hospital right after she has given birth, texting her supervisor uh, and, and saying, hey, these are things that need to get done that I was planning on doing Monday, but Jack was born, so I won't be able to do it. And they're like, hey, you know, just don't, don't worry about that. Just take, care of, just take care of you. And that seems nice and all. But you would think you're like, man, this woman, this is the person we need to have. We need to have this person. She is calling us from a hospital bed after being gutted. That's crazy. I want that person. Um, that's determination. Not, listen, I have a family situation. I need to take care of that. Listen, you do you. Which is totally understandable. 
and, and, and fair. But, you know, if you're going to go the extra mile, you think that you would be recognized for that extra mile. And uh, so she interviews for her last interview, recovering in the hospital, I, I, I think, or it may, maybe it was at home right after we got back with Jack. And, um, and she was Passovers for someone who hadn't even accomplished the things that she had accomplished in her job. So, you know, there's a senior specialist in learning and development, and there's just a regular specialist. So the other person who got the job hadn't even gone through the senior uh, um, uh, requirements. So they show no initiative to start on those things, but throws their hat in the ring for a team lead position and um, isn't the, the one who's endorsed by the previous manager. However, they take that job. It's given to them. And so, it, man, it would be so easy to look at that and be like, man, they screwed her over again because of maternity leave. Those, you know what? Maybe we need to talk to an attorney because I think that there's a clear-cut case for discrimination in the workplace against mothers who go on maternity leave at Paycom. Um, you're, and like, I thought that they were a woke company, but they hired a white straight male <laughs> over a Hispanic hardworking female. <laughs> and I don't really buy into any of that, but you know what? When someone, when someone outworks you, what, what can you say? I think, I think it shall be merit-based. And Hilda's, I tell you what, very few people can outwork Hilda, period. Anyone who's worked with her knows, because she can, uh, she'll be up at two in the morning working on announcement videos. She will get the job done. There's no, listen, I've done a reasonable amount of work. I've worked a full-time job, then I've come home and helped take care of my family, and then I'm working on church stuff, and I'm getting leadership stuff ready, and I'm helping with the youth, and I'm uh, doing all these things, and I'm working, and then, okay, now we've got announcement videos. I'm I'm going to get those done, and I'm over here like, Hilda, go to bed. Go to bed. And she's like, just clicking and clacking. And, you know, she's... Hilda's a force. She's not even really a person. And so to see someone get passed over several times is very frustrating. And um, just recently, what I was talking about earlier, she went for pretty much a step promotion and going for a supervisor. Now, we don't know who got that job, but it's, it's, it's fair to say that that was probably a lot more reasonable in the sense that she's probably going up against other supervisors that wanted an easier gig and, or other team leads that were still fresh in the PSD environment. So I'm certainly not going to say that there's something that you could allege um, in that situation that I'm aware of. But you start putting lines on a board of your past experience and you start th- saying there's a linear... Uh, a, a, a linear progression or degression in this sense. What's going on? Should I even apply for future jobs? And uh, the, the devil comes in and he says, are you sure you should apply for that job? You're probably not going to get it. I mean, you know, you haven't got the last three promotions and in at least two, three out of the four situations in the past at this company, you have certainly been the better fit. Um, and all of your coworkers attest to this, this situation. I mean, maybe you need to go somewhere else. Maybe there's something wrong with you. Maybe there's just a spirit of no promotion over you. <laughs> oh my God. But you know what? You don't think about those things rationally, but those, you, begin, you begin to think, what's the point? The enemy comes in and says, you're naked. You can't do it. 
You should just accept this. This is a nice spot for you. This is good money. You make good money. Why are you crying? It's not bad. You should be lucky you have this with your spirit. <laughs> um, but you have, to, you have to put those down. Hilda has to put those down. She's certainly going to get promoted. It's impossible to be a Hilda and not get promoted. And you ha- but, but you know what? Hilda could stay in that position the rest of her life if she chose to, stay, to, to feed that pity monster that wants to come up and be like, pet me, let's sympathize together. Let's grow a pity pot. Um, and, it could, and it could totally define her life if she was someone else. I mean, that's not really a Hilda. But you know what? Eventually, if something happens to you over and over and over again, you're going to... It's reasonable. <laughs> if you get into a car, I got a speeding ticket. I've gotten two speeding tickets from the same cop at the same spot. Because <laughs> I drop Amelia off. It's like the morning. And I'm like, got my little coffee cup in my hand. And I speed everywhere. But, you know, so I certainly can't blame someone for, for you know, they pulled me over because I was speeding. It's pretty fair. Fair game, as far as I'm concerned. I've got a game to play. It's called I'm Gonna Speed and You Have to Catch Me. Um, sometimes you win, but most of the time I win. <laughs> um, but, you know, for some reason, I wasn't thinking about it, and so I just, you know, drop Amelia off, and then on those situations, my haircut's across town, and I think it's both on a haircut. I, I hope not. That, sounds, that feels bad. But, um, you know, I drop her off, and then I'm going this direction, and then I'm going down 33rd. In between Broadway on 33rd and uh, Coltrane, or not Coltrane, Bryant, there's always this motorcycle with a cop that hangs out on the north side, uh, over by that dog park. And if you're in the morning, better be going 35 because he's going to get you. And uh, he got me twice. And I could be like, man, I always get pulled over by cops. Or I could be like, yeah, you also go 50 and a 35. So <laughs> how about reducing your speed and not blaming the cop? Um, <laughs> but you know what? You, there, there's a place for the rational mind, right? There's a place to say, okay, well, you got pulled over because you were speeding in a 35, and it's happened the same spot. Why can't you get smarter? It's the same cop. But you could also, you can take that and extrapolate it to unreasonable answer. I always get pulled over by a cop. I always get harassed by a cop. Um, you're like, you always speed. Slow down. It's not a unique condition to you. Speeding will generally attract negative attention. <laughs> if you don't like paying the government money in speeding tickets, which I don't prefer, but I'm from California, and our speeding tickets there are a lot heavier. So uh, whenever there's like 180 bucks, I'm like, oh, 180 bucks, that's cool. <laughs> He'll like, it's 180 bucks not on the budget. But... Um, uh, but California going 54 and a 35 probably be like three or four hundred dollars or something crazy like that. I think it's been such a long time. I just remember speeding tickets of like 120, 180. I'm like, man, that's cheap. That's worth it. I told my dad. <laughs> I told I told my dad what the speeding ticket was, and he's like, see, that costs you 180 bucks. I'm like, yeah, but I only get one maybe once a year, once every two years tops. So you divide that out over every day that I drive this way. I'm paying like two cents a ride. <laughs> um, <laughs> got to think of it ABC um, but Hilda, Hilda, could, Hilda could have that attitude right she, and, and she could allow it to determine where she goes but she's going to be like no 
That's, that's, not, that's not what God says about me. Um, uh, so the, the devil would like to offer you some information if you'll take it. Um, I look at it like this too. You know, it's, it's one spot, but it's almost like, and I heard another, another preacher do this, kind of talking along the same vein, but he had like a, a prop. It's like a mask. And it's like Satan's offering you a mask if you would like to put it on. And it can totally define who you are. It can be the mopey mask. You're the sad person all the time. Life's always a bummer. And, you know, there's people dealing with chemical imbalances. I'm not talking about that. But you know what? It doesn't really matter. And I've been that person. I've been that person who just woke up, bummed out, depressed, not really crazy, bad, you know, uh, pretty much since I was a teenager for a long time. And I was talking to Hills like, you know what? I think I've been that way in a long time. But it was, it was years and years and years. You just wake up, you just got that feeling on your chest for no good reason. No reason whatsoever. Everything's great. Got a beautiful wife. Definitely don't deserve. I got gorgeous kids. Thank you for entering that genetic pool. Um, everything's wonderful. Almost got my degree. Well, you know, I guess this is prior to that experience. Um, but, you know, just waking up, bummed out. But you know what, God, God, there's provision outside of your biological condition, whether that's because of a, a conditional state or whether it's because you're born this way and there's a chemical balance. And you know what, if medication will help you, take the medication. Just don't, uh, I have a headache, I say a prayer, and I pop an ibuprofen. <laughs> and it goes away. Um, so you know what, stand where your faith will stand, but if you need help for that, get help for that. But in taking that medication, if you need it, stand on the word of God that you know, says that, you know, Jesus healed you of that, whether it's biological, whether it's because of, you know, sometimes people interpret, and I've done this, sometimes people interpret depression as a biological state, when in reality, your consciousness is trying to tell you that something needs to be fixed. Something is out of line and you need to fix it, whether you need to get in a different job, whether you need to fix something in your relationship, whether you need to talk to your parents, you know, your God and your spirit is like, listen, you're, you're irky because I'm trying to talk to you and you refuse to listen. And if you refuse to listen, this feeling's not going away. Um, and if you'll just listen and do what I tell you to do, you won't, you won't have this feeling anymore. Um, so you need to identify what it is, where it's at. Um, but Satan's offering, offering a mask if you'll put it on, and it can co totally de de define everything about your life. Um, but you have to ask every single time, who said you were naked? What does God say? Jeremiah 29, 11 says that I have a good plan for your life to bring you to an expected end. Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 8 says, and if you fully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you this day, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the earth. He'll set you high above the nations of the earth. That's the word of God. And all these blessings shall overcome you and overtake you. And if you obey the voice of the Lord your God, blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. That doesn't talk about you have to stay in this position. I guess it's just where you're at. You know? Listen, I, I have to deal with some of that stuff too um, in, in the things that I've, I, I, in my history. Um, but... It, it, it's not the word. And, you know, I can be like, well, you know, I'm just a certain type of way. It's just, just the way it all. I'll, I'll give you an example. Well, I'll, try, I'll, read the, I'll finish the verse, and I'll try to remember the, the example. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field, and blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, 
and blessed shall be, uh, and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle and the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and they will flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns and in, and in all that you undertake. And he will bless you and the land that the Lord God is giving you. And so the only way to overcome those things is to speak God's word over them. And, and not just to be like, well, you can just ignore them. Sometimes you've got to speak. It's like when I was talking about, you know, giving my tithe and offering. I could feel in that moment, it wasn't, it, it wasn't pleasing to God that I just let that stand. Not just because, you know, obviously I'm going I'm to, I'm going to, I'm going to sow my tithes and offerings. That's what I'm going to do, Period. Uh, whether I feel happy about it, whether I don't feel happy about it. But I could tell in that moment, God wasn't pleased for me just to let it sit. And, and less than that, I think that he was trying to help me to overcome that. Uh, and, and so that it doesn't just continuously sit there in the background and come up every, every pay period. Uh, and it'd be like, no. And, and I, you know, in there by myself in my house, I, you know, pulled this scripture out and, or, or a different one. And, and spoke that scripture over my phone as I'm about to push my button and, um, and reminded myself of the promises of God and that God brought me to this place. So you've got to speak God's word if you want to overcome because you know what? There are situations, there are people who live their whole lives and they believe lies about themselves and those lies define them. And if you looked back, you'd be like, yeah, true, fair. But had they chosen early on to cut those lies off and to say, you're not going to be the, the determining part in my life anymore, this is the word of God, Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 8, and I'm going to speak it over my life every day until I believe it. And when I believe it, it's going to begin to manifest in my life. Um, then, then you start taking that mask off. You start saying, no, I'm, I'm not naked. I'm covered in the glory of God. I'm covered. Um, Oh, yeah, my example. Thank you, Jesus. Gosh, I am a squirrel. I am not a squirrel. Um, <laughs> um, I, am working, I am working in the direction of losing weight. But in, in my mind, in my mind, I want to say, man, I like, I like sugar. I love sugar. Um, not really savory stuff. I could just shove sugar in my mouth all day. You know, not straight sugar, but candy donuts, a whole bunch of stuff. Ice, I love, for the example, Lord, I love ice cream. <laughs> you know, there's, there's very few sugary things that you couldn't offer me that I wouldn't be more than happy to take with one in each hand. Um, and if I temper it back, it's only because I recognize uh, people don't want to see that. <laughs> but when I'm by myself. Um, but you know what? I don't, I, I was listening to a neurologist talk, once again, squirrel, this is a, a neurologist talk about uh, addictive natures and um, what people are addicted to when it comes to drugs and alcohol and food. And you know, it all really comes down to dopamine. You don't really like food as much as you think you, you think that food is the zest of life and I'm going to go to the store, I'm going to make these things, I'm going to go to my favorite ice cream shop, I'm going to go to this awesome donut store down in Ocean Springs, uh, Mississippi called the Tato Nut and there are some wonderful foods in the world. There really aren't. Um, those foods, your brain says, this sugar is great for warding off starvation. 
I'm going to give you dopamine if you give me sugar. And so really, like a crack addict, you're just chasing dopamine. And that helped me. I don't know if that helped, because I would be like, this is my personality. I like to cook. I like, I, I really enjoy cooking. Um, and I like to eat, I like to eat what I like to eat. Um, but it helps to break down the lies that you've told yourself. Because, you, you know, we, we tell ourselves these lies. I really like these foods. You don't. Your brain has trained you to chase dopamine. And so if you can be like, I really like sugar. Who said you were, who said you were naked? Who said you liked sugar? Did God say you loved sugar? Or did your brain tell you you like sugar? You can, is it good for you and your grandkids to get to see you past 55, 60 years old? Probably. Does God want you to be healthy and, and whole and confident to get up and, you know, if you want to run around church or dance without worrying about, you know, extra movements? <laughs> I think about, I don't know about you, where have these big old shirts. I hate that. You know, I want to dress how I want to dress. God wants you confident. God, and you know what? Some things, you know, everyone knows how we are. God would love it if we could be just super confident no matter what condition we're in. But some of us know that we're not going to be able to get into that position. And part of it goes back to that anxiety issue of like, you're, there's something in your brain that's telling you you're healthier if you're in the state. And that's what my brain's trying to tell me. And um, there's a reason I don't want you here. And it's not just because of social programming about beautification standards. It's because you are healthier in the state. I will be healthier if I reduce. And I don't know. I look in the mirror. I'm like, I just don't like, feel it. Like, you know, changes are so slow over time. And then you hit like a gradual. And you're like, man. man. You know, I gained a ton of weight on my last deployment. I went in like 175, came out. 200. <laughs> Most people lose weight. See, I'm already married and happy. <laughs> I've got no, got no motivation <laughs> in that direction. And it's like, man. And it goes, you know, before this revelation, it's like, you, I mean, Travis knows. You go to the, you go to, except every time he goes to a deployment, I see him come back ripped. So, you know, he's just a jerk. But <clears throat> I go, I go, I was in Aldafer for the last one, but for uh, civil engineering. And, you know, they got the green bean, and man, it was such a good life. You're going to be jealous, Travis. My last deployment, I worked eight hours a day, five days a week. But for uh, AWACS, before, uh, when I deployed, it was 14 hours a day, six days a week. And if they weren't happy with you, they took away your day off. I never had a day off taken away. And it was, <laughs> I was telling everyone, if they were complaining, I'm like, shut your mouth. This is the best deployment you're ever going to be on. And I'm hoping that that's not true. Because if I have to do another one, I want that to be my best deployment ever. But it was awesome. Um, but at the chow hall, again, it's just basically like going to Golden Crown. Eat as much as you want. Go as many times as you want. You just walk in there any time of the day and grab yourself ice cream. It's not good for people who like dopamine. <laughs> um, so, and then, you know, the green beans there, and you're getting your per diem. You can go to basically like stick a Starbucks equivalent. Go to Starbucks. Um, so I know my body's telling me, listen, if you don't change something, what was 175 to 200 is going to be 2 to 225. I mean, it's, it, if the habits don't change, the accumulation continues. Um, and so that really helped me with dismantling that lie of, you know, I just really like food. I like, I like donuts. I like to go get these foods. Like, no, recognize when that craving comes up, your body's trying to tell you to give me some dope. I'll give you dopamine. I'll trade you dopamine. Let's do this. But if you don't know that, if you don't know that that lie is working in the background, then you'd be like, man, that sounds good. 
let's go to Starbucks and get a Frappuccino and a classic coffee cake, and that's like 1,200 calories, and we haven't even had any real food. You're like, let's get dopamine. That's all that's going on there. And for, I mean, that's, it's not really just for me, it's for everyone. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're Tyler, don't matter. God bless you, Tyler. I like to live vicariously through you. I'm going to be like, Tyler, Tyler, here's a donut. I just want to watch you eat it. <laughs> Once you get to that point, you'll get there. Hopefully you never do. I hope you never, ever get there. Um, I hope, I'm happy when I see people, skinny people get to live in a world that most people can't live in. I'm like, someone's, someone's living in the twilight zone, and I'm happy it's you. Happy someone is. But... Um, but, it, but if that's not, and you're, you're getting to a spot that's unhealthy, then your body's trying to tell you it's not, that, that something needs to change. And if you constantly think you're working uphill because this is your nature, then you're like, man, man this is who I am. I just want to be a happy, fat chef. That's all I want to be in life. But it's like, no, God got something better for us. And it's not true. But it feels true because you're listening to chemicals in your head tell you what to do. But God hasn't called us to be obedient to the chemicals in our head. He's called us to rise above that and to say, well, God, what's your, what's your will for me? Where do you want me to be? What's acceptable to you? He's like, well, you know, I mean, I just want you healthy. But, you know, if you being in a really happy physical shape will put you in a condition to be more confident so that you'll be more likely to do my will as a result of that, then maybe, maybe you should do that. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Going back to Hilda, um, we tried to have kids back, when did we start, 2018? No? No, Amelia was born. We had, no, we had her in 2019. I think it was at some point around 2018. But you know what? When you start trying to have kids around 34, 35 years old, you, you, know, you listen to the news. You know, you know what you're working against um, in your mind as far as what they say your odds are. And then after it's been a year and you haven't conceived... And you start being like, gosh, what's going on? What's going on? Is there, is there something, something I need to go on? Then you go to the fertility experts, and that sucks. And then they give you their information, like, well, you know, everything's good here, and, you know, you've still got eggs, and I don't know, just keep trying, I guess. Um, so that was go through all that garbage and for no, re- no, no, no productive benefit. And, um, and then, you know, you get pregnant with Amelia, and we were very uh, super excited about that. And thankfully, you know, she was born. Um, but she came around 27 weeks, you know. And when that happened, it was super scary. I didn't, you know, you don't just sit around. I mean, I guess nowadays on YouTube, you just go the rabbit trail on whatever comes up. But prior to that, you know, my idea about a preemie kid at 27 wasn't positive, <laughs> you know. And it's really close to the window of not positive. You know, a lot of preemie, there's plenty of preemie kids that are born 27 weeks that make it just fine, but there's some that don't. And at 24 weeks, it really sucks. Um, and uh, it's not that far from that window. Um, so Amelia was born at 27 weeks. And, um, you know, God got us through it. We were excited. We were happy. Um, but then when we started to go about bringing Jack into the world, um, it was just before my deployment. And our idea was like, man, we're going to knock this, knock this pregnancy out. And then I'm going to get out of here and hopefully get right back because it's about six-month deployment, you know. So get Hilda taken care of, leave, come back, baby born, boom. Um, but around uh, February of 21, Hilda got pregnant. And in about eight weeks after that, she had a miscarriage. And, you know, that's super devastating. 
I mean, I know that unfortunately it's not extremely uncommon, but it doesn't really make women feel better, you know, when you're going through it. Especially, you know, the, I mean, the minute a woman gets pregnant and they observe it and they know it, they're parents, not me. Uh, I don't know how all men are. I think most men are like, you know, you're not really a dad until you see the baby. I'm even worse. I'm like, all right, here you are. You're a baby. I will take care of you. And then, <laughs> this is a human. And then, uh, you know, over the process of investing time and hours, and you're just like, Jack, Amelia. Pastor talks about him seeing Michael for the first time. And I'm like, that's not me. I'm just like, there's a baby. Let's go. Let's do this. <laughs> I'm just a weirdo like that. Um, but it, it sucks watching, watching your wife suffer through that miscarriage. You know, and it's almost worse not feeling anything, uh, or not anything. There's some disappointment, you know, like, but not nowhere near that, uh, nowhere near what Hilda had to put up with and what she had to deal with. Um, and then to not even have a, a cycle in between that and getting pregnant again. And you're like, yes, the Lord has given us what the devil tried to steal. And you're like, that's right, devil, you can't take my baby. And then nine weeks later, go to the hospital for, uh, you know, do a checkup. Sonogram person can't find a heartbeat. Sucks. It's depressing. Sucks more for Hilda, obviously. Um, But, you know, as a husband, your heart goes out for her. Um, And then right after that, I deploy. So she's got to pretty much put all these pieces together by herself. She had to go to the hospital because, you know, if you're lucky, your body just kind of absorbs and, and processes the baby. But if it's big enough, then that becomes more difficult. And they have to go in. They have to take it out. It sucks. Uh, and she had to do all that while I was deployed. Not really even while I was deployed. I think she had to do it when I was doing some pre-deployment training over in uh, El Paso. But then it kind of sucks more because you're like, I'm kind of here and I'm kind of not. I'm not really. I'm still in the States, but I, I have no control over my, my schedule. And, you know, Air Force didn't really care about those situations, you know, um, unless they're super, super more significant than that. Um, they'll pull you back. But uh, so she had to deal with all that. Then all of a sudden you're like, you know, I had a preemie baby. I had two miscarriages back to back. Maybe I should just be lucky and happy with Amelia. Maybe, you know, that, you know I, I'm blessed with Amelia. That was nice. But you know what? She didn't do that. And she told me when I got back, um, she didn't tell me while I was gone, um, but she's like, this is the worst year of my life. The worst year of her life was the, the year, uh, 21 while I was gone. Um, and you can totally understand that. But she didn't allow that to form her life. She didn't allow that to be like, preemie baby, I got blessed and lucky, miscarriage, miscarriage, should I even try? You know, um, while I was gone and she was dealing with all of that, her, her heart was, as soon as David gets back, we're getting pregnant. Soon as da- that, that was what her confession was. The word of God says, I'll, uh, uh, you know, blessed shall be the fruit of my womb. That's what the word of God says. And so that's what she was speaking over herself the entire time. And when I got back and Jack was, gosh, we, she was conceived with Jack by February, I think. Remember, right? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> that's uh that's the potency we're dealing with here <laughs> but she's like no 
I've been praying for this for the last seven months while you were gone. I've been confessing that we're going to have a baby and you're going to get, we're going to get pregnant right when you get home. I'm not going to be waiting around anymore. You know, her, her pain didn't go, let's build a monument for this pain because it's reasonable to do so. You know, it's fair. Someone goes through a bunch of stuff and you're like, what can you say? You can't say anything to them because, you know, ultimately, I mean, it's super insensitive, but you have to realize these things for yourself. You know, you have to have a revelation. Someone can tell you all they want to tell you, but until you examine the lies that the devil has tried to offer you and said, uh, who said you were naked? Who said that you couldn't have a kid? Who said that you couldn't conceive? Who said that the rest of your pregnancies were going to be marked with miscarriage? Um, Only you can do that. Um, Ayla had to beat some stuff. Thankfully, she never had a miscarriage that I'm aware of. So I praise God for that. But to get to that point took a lot of work, a lot of faith, um, and a lot of challenging. And I'm sure a lot of uh, the devil coming up being like, looks naked to me. You're like, no, no, I'm not. This is my condition, and I find it right here. Not according to here, not how I feel, not because you said, not because a doctor said, but because it's written here. Um, and I thank God, man, Hilda's amazing. Ayla, we got some crazy women in here. Some wild, wild women. <laughs> it's a good church to get pregnant in, though, gosh. Um, Praise you, Jesus. Um, and we're going to, it's going to seem like a, a side trip, but we're going to go to John 14, 4 through 14. We're almost done. Good job, Jess. And you know, and you know the way to where I am going, Thomas said to the Lord. Said, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do not know him. From, from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, he's, Philip's stupid. Lord, show us the Father. <laughs> And it is enough for us. She's like, like, did you not hear what I just said? <laughs> Pay attention. He's the squirrel. So maybe me and Philip have a lot more in common. <laughs> Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long that you still do not know me? Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And the greater works that... the greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So Jesus is giving us, he's giving the disciples and giving us a, a picture. Um, he's, he's like, I, you're asking for the Father, but I've always been here. I'm the Father and the Son. I, I, because I obey the Father and because... Um, 
And because the Father dwells in me, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so if we can take that to its next step, that if, if Jesus dwells in us, the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and we do the works of the Father, then when people see us, we should be able to say, at least within ourselves, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And if, and if you've seen the Father in me, then how could I be naked? Um, in John 4, 7, and 10, this is my last scripture. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If taking that last scripture to that conclusion, if we would, if we would pursue a revelation of that, we would be the answer and not the problem. And not, not just in our lives where it should start because that's really just the training ground for you to carry it out. Um, you, we individually and corporately, when people interact with us, we should have this in our hearts, in our mind. If you knew the gift of God that was in front of you. You know, and... It, it, might irk some religiousness in, in you to hear that. Be like, oh, it's Jesus. Jesus said that. But Jesus is our model. It's supposed to be that way. I like, you know, Alan Iverson had a shoe or, uh, called The Answer uh, back in the day. And we're supposed to be the answer as Jesus is inside of us. It's because, you know, it's not, it's not David's the answer. It's Jesus is the answer. God's the answer. But because he's in me, and I do what he tells me to do. I don't do what I want to do. You know, I'm not participating with that, that uh, Satan coming along and saying, um, you're, basically, you're naked. There's a situation. What's going on? You're na- Who said you were naked? God didn't say we're naked. He said, you should know the gift that's inside of you. You should be in your workplaces. And a problem comes up, be like, if you knew the gift and the Holy Spirit manifests, he comes about and gives you wisdom of what to say, what to do in your workplaces, in your businesses, in stock, uh, stock markets. Um, in every situation, uh, when there's people and they're in the hospitals uh, and we're going around doing, doing ministry, if you knew the gift of God. But you know, you can read that scripture and hear that, but it, it has to be a revelation on the inside of you for it to work. Um, just reading it and me telling you it isn't enough. Because you're going you're gonna to deal with that same questions inside of your mind and be like, mm, um, but all that comes back to believing the lies of the enemy. And so if you can dismantle those lies, if you can recognize them wherever they're at, 
whether, whether it's how you're interacting with individual people, whether it's what you're capable of, whether it's a health condition, um, whether it's how you interact with your children, um, whether it's the type of boss you are, I'm always this way. No, you're not. You can be however God's called you to be. You know, there, there's giftings that God's put in our life, but those giftings should bring about a positive change in people. They shouldn't be a negative. So if they're a negative, then um, you need to examine how you're using that. And you see a strong person and picture the same thing. A strong person be like, you know, I, I can control the situation. I'm big, I'm tough. I can make people do whatever I want to do um, or they're going to get hurt and blah, blah, blah. Or they can take that gift and be like, well, God put me on this earth to protect people. You know, I'm going to be a cop or I'm going to be whatever and be a army, knock down doors, I don't know. But it, it, all of those gifts should bring about positive change. And uh, God has called us to, to one, right now, to recognize that there are things in our lives that we believe that aren't true. And, you know, I could sit with people and listen to them talk, and I could be like, all right, that's a lie, that's a lie, that's a lie. But really, you would just argue with me and tell me about how it's true and how I don't understand Ultimately, the only person that can challenge those lies are each and every one of us. But <clears throat> I hope that as you're going about your day, I hope that as I hope that this scripture, the this message doesn't just go in one ear and out the other. I hope that you can carry it with you um, for as long as it, it it can it can chirp up whenever there's something that comes up. When there's something that you say, this is how it is. This is how the world is. This is how my life has been. This is what I can expect. I hope that you hear who said you were naked. And you begin to at least entertain the question, do I believe a false narrative about my life that is continuously perpetuating itself because I allow it to? Not because it has to, not because it's just gravity. Gravity's real. You're trying to get me to negotiate gravity away. That's not going to happen. But because you have entertained something that isn't from God. And he wants, to, he wants to take that from you, if you'll give it to him, and exchange it for, for his image and his likeness and uh, his perfect will for your life, for our lives, for my life. So that's what I have today. Um, if you want to come up and uh, receive prayer afterwards, you can. And uh, me or Tyler or uh, Ayla um, will pray for you. Um, to if there's if there's things in your lives that you're like man my life has been a certain way and um, I think that I've probably facilitated the the narrative of the enemy for a long time and I need some some prayer to break that off you know we're definitely be happy to pray with you um, so I will give you the opportunity to come up there come up here after I pray and release y'all um, but Lord we just thank you for the word that you've released today we thank you for your spending time with us. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy in our lives, Lord. We thank you that uh, you have a better word for us. Yes. Lord, we pray, that we, we pray that the Holy Spirit, Lord, we welcome you to break off every lie of the enemy that is framed and, and told us what we can expect out of life. Lord, we, we, we declare that your word is supreme over our life and we will not entertain anything else. And, and we ask you, Lord... Because, because we don't know what it is all the time. We, we, it is what it is because we believe it is. And so we pray that you would, you would ring the scriptures in our, in our ears when, when, 
things come up in conversation or in our mind uh, that, that we're dealing with and that you would show us and guide us and, and shine light in those areas where, where we've believed the lie of the enemy so that we can, we can walk in our true identity in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.